Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter. In our episode today, the last day of November is um, is a hard subject, but we're going to talk and converse about it. Nonetheless, it'll be on anti-Semitism. We'll get we'll introduce our, our great guest to our audience in in a couple of moments. As always, I'd like to introduce our our great staff. We have Matthew Campbell, who's our production manager. Thank you f- to him for all the the details and, and logistics for the success of our Health Chatter podcast. And also Aaron Collins and Maddie Levine-Wolf, who help us with um, background research and, and some talking points. So thank you to you guys, um, you're second to none. And then of course, Clarence uh, Jones, who's one of the, one of my most, he, he is one of my best colleagues. If, you know, if I, if I had to rank order, you know, all the colleagues and all the people I've known in my career, <sighs> Clarence certainly is in the, uh, the top 10 for sure. So I appreciate um, that. He's he's a wonderful wonderful man, and Clarence will will bring the uh, the community perspective to our health mm-hmm. chatter. Um, I'll bring some of the health aspects, and then we will forge ahead with um, a subject that um, unfortunately is near and dear to my heart as as a Jew, uh, and so I. And and given what has happened in the environment, um, we thought it was an important important subject, along with racism, which will be our, another show um, in a couple of weeks. Given uh, the health aspects that these subjects might have on on people in general, today we have um, a great guest who's been involved in this subject matter of. of anti-Semitism um, for for a long time. Uh, Steve Hunnings, who's the executive director of the Jewish Community Relations Council of Minnesota and the Dakotas. I've known Steve a long time. Um, we don't connect all that often, but when, when we do, it's just like you pick up where you're left off. It's kind of, it's that kind of a a friendship and collegial relationship that I really appreciate. He also was the assistant attorney general for, for six years. So uh, a lot of background there. So he's an attorney <laughs> in addition to having a, a very, very strong voice as it relates to the subject that we're going to talk about today. So Steve, many, many thanks for, for joining us on this show and being willing to talk about anti-Semitism. Uh, thank you, Stan, Clarence, Matthew, Aaron, Maddie, the entire team. It's a privilege and pleasure to participate in Health Chatter. Stan, as you say, we've been friends a long time. I remember our discussions about uh, cigarette issues, Leonard Schumann at the university, oh, yeah. so much of the first work in the Surgeon General's first report on cigarette smoking and statistics that Dr. Schumann helped compile, which became a part of the early case against or uh, establishing the linkage between smoking and disease. So we've had a lot of wonderful conversations over the years. Yes, indeed we have. So let's start with um, addressing anti-Semitism. You know, when, when I first contacted you about this, one of my questions to you is where do we start where do we start with this subject matter since the the subject of anti-Semitism has an incredible, unfortunate, long history? And you really established an aha moment for me by say by saying to me, we start with today. What's going on today? So comment on that. Thank you. This will be a great discussion. If I have one soliloquy, it's going to be right now, if that's okay. Absolutely. And, and then we should have chavruta. Chavruta uh, means a discussion between friends where we challenge each other, help each other, 
provoke each other all in the name of trying to reach the truth. So I know I know that that's going to happen today. Philosophically, I am an optimist, an inter- eternal optimist. And I like to quote uh, Professor Salo, Bar- Salo Barone, who had probably the first chair in Jewish history at an Ivy League institution at Columbia. And he said, avoid the lacrimose view of Jewish history, which is a fancy word for avoid the temptation to reduce Jewish history to a series of uh, pogroms, uh, expulsions, culminating in the Holocaust, right? Of course, that's an important uh, feature, unfortunately, of Jewish history. But we have such a glorious Jewish civilization, which has so often been the bedrock of Western civilization in its part, that we must never forget from where we come. And from when I say we, I talk about sort of the, in a, in a particular, the Judeo-Christian Muslim world, the monotheistic world, because we're all brothers and sisters in that part. And at, at the base of it is so much of Judaism. Think about the golden rule from Leviticus, right? What's said 36 times in the Bible more than anything else? Uh, uh, treat the stranger well for you are a slave in the land of Egypt, right? Yeah. Uh, so we have this wonderful and profoundly important foundation of Judaism, which has contributed so much to the world which we always celebrate in conjunction with all of our brothers and sisters. Uh, you know, that said, we live in a time of difficulty, right? Uh, rising anti-Semitism. Moreover, the violent expression of anti-Semitism, too, and we'll talk about all of these pieces coming together. But it can't be separated from racism, too. Have to keep mm-hmm. that in mind. And it also can't be separated from I don't know if it's a larger trend, but it is a trend of the coarsening of public culture and discourse and the corrosive impact of that on our democracy. A statistic I just looked up, University of California Davis study online, you know, I'm not I'm not necessarily vouching for for the manner of the polling, but I think there's a kernel here. Twenty percent of Americans now and it's are willing in general to sometimes support uh, the use of political violence or use of violence to express political views. You know, that's, you know, hand in hand with racism. That's hand in hand with anti-Semitism, something that we have to pay attention to. I will also say, and now I'll end my soliloquy here, that in our work at the JCRC, Minnesota, North Dakota, and South Dakota, and I'm happy to talk about it uh, too, far more characterized by philo-Semitism. That is people who want to work with the Jewish community, people who want to partner with the Jewish community, contributions that we make back and forth to each other's communities. And I'm happy to report that that's the case. But we live in a world of cognitive cognitive dissidence, and this is sort of going back to Talmud and Chavruta study, that two opposites can be true at the same time, right? The warm reception that we receive, the work that we do with many groups, coupled with a dangerous rise in anti-Semitism, often violent. So that's my little soliloquy for today, is that the world is very nuanced and complicated, and anti-Semitism is no exception to that rule. So, Steve, when I was younger, uh, there was, and I lived in Chicago, there was a, a huge, uh, there, was a lot, there was a lot of interaction between Jews and the African-American community. And uh, it just seems that, uh, you know, you talk about today, it just seemed that there's such, right now, there seemed to be such a, a disconnect. You talked about the dissonance uh, between our communities. What do you think has happened uh, you know, you, you you talked before about being we're brothers, we're brothers and sisters, you know, but but somehow something has happened uh, that has caused this uh, this huge disconnect, this huge uh, misunderstanding. Or or what do you think? What what do you think is going on? Well, Clarence, I'm happy to report the following fact that one of my closest friends in the world, both professionally and personally, is Stephen Belton, Urban League Twin Cities. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, we when we appear together. Uh, you know, he's Stephen and I'm Steve, and we often say it's not so hard to tell us apart. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, the work we've done together with the Urban League, and he and I recognize that, that this is an issue. And the way that we try to approach it is by working together pro- program- programmatically. Uh, their major gala is tomorrow night, the Urban mm-hmm. League. And so I always believe, you know, I'm, I'm not a Talmudist, but occasionally – Something will come to mind. And per vote is uh, from the Ethics of the of the Elders, <clears throat> a chapter of the Talmud, a tractate, as they say it. 
And the expression goes, it's not our goal. It's not our job to perfect the world, but you can't desist from the effort. So, you know, to, to address the issue that you're talking about, sometimes rift between our communities, what are we doing to make it better? Right. And, you know, something that I point to is, okay, JCRC and Urban League, we're going to work together whenever possible. Community security for both communities is huge. Mm -hmm. Let's focus one second on two murderous events for which should uh, uh, compete for our attention. One is the 2015 attack on Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Murderer walks into the primarily African-American church, people at prayer study session, Bible study, murders a number of people, right? Mm -hmm. Go ahead, two years, eighth Chaim attack in Pittsburgh. A uh, man hears that there's a Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society fundraiser that is helping immigrants, uh, and he walks in and murders people. We can see that our institutions are targets. We can also have another rift about uh, the degradation of society where attacks on houses of worship are becoming more common. Uh, my point there is you know, our community has worked very closely with the African-American community on community security. You know, Sadly, mm -hmm. uh, that is something for which the Jewish community has established a, a certain amount of expertise is protecting our institutions. And that's something that we want to share with all with all communities. And uh, you know, I'll tell you that within the last couple of years, we had a gathering with uh, senior African-American African-American pastors in the Twin Cities to, to sort, sort of share our resources. So, yes, and we, that could be a whole nother graduate uh, le level course, Clarence, talking about the interactions between the Jewish community and talking about and the African-American community, what went right and what goes wrong. Right. Because like any other community, we have both that occur. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I. There is a book in my bookshelf at the office called What Went Wrong, which is precisely this topic. You know, where did mm -hmm. where did our communities go astray? But and now I, I'm breaking my own rule of soliloquizing here. So you'll have to <laughs> apologize. Uh, but going back to where we when you're we talking offline before, let's remember some of the commonalities between our communities. Sure. Particularly in the Minneapolis side. There we are living more or less side by side in the north side of Minneapolis. Right. You know, my dad born 1931. Uh, God willing, he's 91 years old and healthy, uh, graduate of North High 1949. You know, the Jewish kids and African-American kids all going to high school together on the north side in Minneapolis, facing common problems. Minneapolis, circa 1945, when Hubert Humphrey is elected mayor, is a city of de facto segregation, uh, right? In, in work, in housing, every way you can imagine. We didn't have Jim Crow on the books, but we had Jim Crow on the mind often in our communities. And this was something that, you know, Hubert Humphrey was elected in 45 to address. And this became a great rallying point between our communities. 1946, 1947, Minneapolis passes amongst the first open housing ordinances in the country, anti-job discrimination ordinances in the country. I say ordinance because it applied to the territory mm -hmm. of the city of Minneapolis. Humphrey's elected to the Senate in 48, he spends a great portion of his career working the Senate in order to ultimately pass the 1964 Civil Rights Act. So the African-American community, the Jewish community of the Twin Cities is there practically at the creation of much of uh, civil rights movement in this country. Uh, you know, Keep in mind that Justice Brandeis used to say that uh, the states are the laboratories of democracy. And I think that's a terrific example of how our communities yeah. work together to affect mm -hmm. national, national mm -hmm. change mm -hmm. to the Civil Rights Act, Voting Rights Act, et cetera. But we can't rest on our laurels. You know, the important legislation that was passed is the foundation. It's what we do day to day that gives life to the law, right? You know, Oliver Wendell Holmes once said famously, the life of the law is not logic, but experience. So it's what you and I do together. It's all of us do together that makes a huge difference. And I'll say one final point, again, violating my rule against soliloquies. I want everyone to pay attention to my dear friend, Sam Friedman, who's a prolific author, a wonderful author, teaches journalism, really teaches book writing at Columbia, because he's writing a book that we published uh, this summer, July, about the early days of the civil rights movement, culminating in Humphrey's speech at the 1948 Democratic Convention when he says that it's time for the Democratic Party to leave the shadows of states' rights and march forthrightly into the bright sunshine of human rights. And it's a book. And there's so much of the intertwining 
I've been reading in manuscript. Thank you, Sam, for giving me that opportunity. There's so much uh, there about the intertwining of our communities and the fight for decency, uh, freedom against prejudice and discrimination. And we're there together. It's what we do with it, though, in 2022, that makes a difference. So sorry, that was a soliloquy, Clarence. No, this is great. So, Steve, here, one thing I really appreciate about you is your um, your optimism, because if you didn't have optimism, certainly in the role that you have, it would be depressing, frankly. Okay. Um, As far as policy, let me let me reflect on that a little bit. As far as policy is concerned, often policies are driven by problems that we have. Policy changes are driven by problems that we have, and we try to rectify those problems. Anti-Semitism is a problem that's been around a long time, okay? And um, what should we expect from a policy perspective um, regarding anti-Semitism. You alluded to, you know, its integration with um, with racial issues, with um, urban issues, et cetera. But, you know, there is a point, I, you know, some people would, would say on, the, on this show, there is a point where you say, my goodness, this has been going on a long time. Have we truly made progress? And by the way, Clarence, I could ask you when we do our racism show the same thing. Have we made what we consider as human beings progress in these areas, especially when we see what's been going on lately? So that 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 that's that was uh, kind of excellent leading to my question. Uh, you know, what is the value of all this disc, uh, discontent that we're that we're seeing now? Exactly. Uh, you know, you 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 talked about. You said you wanted to, to talk about anti-Semitism starting from today or, or about, about today. What's the value of all of this stuff? Uh, because that, to me, is the the struggle for me. What's the value of all this? Let me start here. I think we need one. We're going to reduce you know, thousands of years of Jewish history and anti-Semitism into about one minute right now. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, the late wonderful chief rabbi of the United Kingdom of uh, you know, England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, said it this way, that in the early days of Jewish history, hatred of Jews was based on their religion, monotheistic religion, mm-hmm. in a world of uh, idol worship, just mm-hmm. to be simplistic about it. Mm-hmm. Two, uh, sort of racial theories of anti-Semitism arise 17th century, 18th century, 19th century, Jews are somehow biologically different, right, and mm-hmm. worse and should be eradicated for that reason. Then, Clarence, you talk about Zionism. Jews are to be hated for their state. And this was sort of Rabbi uh, Sachs' construct, you know, great broad strokes, but something that makes intuitive sense and helps us sort of capture where we are in life. What under girds much of it is just the association of conspiracy theories with Jews. You know, if we were, I'm holding this up right now. And if maybe if we had a visual, this would be part of the podcast, but I understand it's an audio podcast. This was a leaflet that was dropped upon American soldiers in World War II by the Germans. It's a star of David, as you can see, and then just identifies various people i'll read a few off to them jerome frank nathan margold david lilienthal uh so on and so forth people with jewish names who were uh, part and parcel of fdr's administration the point was soldiers you're fighting a jewish war you're fighting this for the jews the jews control it all and uh, <clears throat> you know was the idea was to sow dissension amongst the soldiers in in world american soldiers in world war ii well, you know, you flash forward, sorry, pardon me, fast forward to 2022, the here and the now and the Kanye Wests or others mm-hmm. who uh, talk about it's Jewish control of this and it's Jewish control of that. Well, nothing's really changed, right? Let's go back to Bible times, biblical times, right? Pharaoh. Why did Pharaoh become discontented with the Jews? Because Pharaoh arose who knew not Moses, who feared 
that the Israelites living in the land of Egypt were going to try to take control of the kingdom, whatever the case may mm -hmm. be. So the answer is to enslave them and kill their firstborn, right, mm -hmm. in a biblical mm -hmm. manner. So this is something that is stretched throughout history, is the Jews are the other and is the nefarious controller of events, right? And in a way, if there's any through line, all these years over all the different uh, types of anti-Semitism that we've seen, it's the Jew is the master manipulator. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, what is the, what is the value you would ask uh, Clarence of this is that within all the change of history, there's a certain commonality or con con contiguity of anti-Semitism. And again, I'll say it you know, one more time. It's Jew conspiracy theories involving Jews. This past summer, what did we see circulated throughout the Twin Cities? Estimate maybe you know, 10,000 leaflets dropped throughout uh, different portions yeah. and uh, different something called the Goyim Defense League. Uh, <clears throat> pamphlets saying Jews control this, the Jews control this, the Jews are responsible for gun control, the Jews are responsible for COVID, the Jews are responsible for the pharmaceutical response to COVID, the Jews are re responsible for Hollywood, the Jews are responsible for... Uh, uh, finance, etc., and and the nefarious control for the ill dropped all over the Twin Cities. You know, you, you talk about uh, social media and its expression. This is about as old school as it gets. People yeah. putting pamphlets into little uh, plastic bags with a few grains of rice so they can be tossed onto people's life. It was very nocturnal and surreptitious. They drive through neighborhoods in the evening and in the night, I should say, and throw these on people's lawns. You know, why do you do it? So dissension, uh, just like the Nazis are dropping leaflets on American soldiers saying this is a Jewish war. We're going through quiet neighborhoods and uh, trying to set people against each other, right? Which is very unfortunate, also a reflection of the times in which we live, in which elected officials left, right, uh, do this for a living, essentially. Try to pit people against people. And the right doesn't have a monopoly on it, and the left doesn't have a monopoly on it. And that's one reason we so worry about our political discourse is – the is the willingness of people to use political division, if not worse, for their own political purposes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let me ask um, a question about. Um, for I'll get to health in a second, but sure. is human behavior connected to the idea that there always is a need for a scapegoat? Whenever there's a problem, we've got to be able to blame it, in this case, on someone or some population that's causing it, regardless of how we might react to it politically or policy-wise. Is that the basis that we really need to start there, that people just use Jews as a scapegoat or use um, Blacks as as a scapegoat. Is that a fair statement? I, it's not a great statement and it's not a comfortable statement, but is that is there some human behavior truth behind that? 100%. I'm not sure you can say anything more clear than what you said, that uh, the psychological need of humanity, you can speak to this, Dan, this is your field, um, <clears throat> to blame to blame others for their difficulties, mm -hmm. right? Uh, there's a new book out called Half American, which is the story of African-Americans in World War II. The reason uh, it's called Half American is because of a famous letter to the editor that an African-American gentleman had written to the Pittsburgh Courier, which is one of the leading, of the leading national African-American newspapers of the time, in which he says... Uh, Am I to fight for my country? Because really, I'm a half American, right? Mm -hmm. I'm an American, but I do not have the rights of others. I read, the reason I mentioned it is one: you should celebrate the role of African Americans, Native Americans, marginalized communities mm -hmm. in World War II, the fight against Nazism. The point was the V2 program, not the German rockets, but victory abroad, victory at home against racism, right? Well, why were there, you know? complicated question of the treatment of African Americans, but the blame posted on African Americans, what were they? Well, they migrated from the South to the North, right? And that presented all sorts of race issues in the United States. They were the responsibility for the fall of the South in the systems in the South. They were the 
responsible for federal intervention in the South and the growth of federal power, right? So I'm, yeah, I'm just yeah. using you know uh, slurs that were used against the African-American community in its time. So we blame the blacks for some problems. We blame the Jews for other problems, right? You know, a ditty, I, when, I won't use the N-word. A ditty of the time, 1930s and 1940s, was uh, <clears throat> about FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt. And the, the, the ditty went, I, I'll kiss the N-word, I'll, you'll kiss the Jews, and we'll stay in power as long as we choose, right? Uh, it, it just shows you how we were conjoined and made to be uh, responsible for the troubles of others. And this is historic in America. It's historic throughout the world. Yeah, and, and you know, I think perhaps that's one of the reasons why um, anti-Semitism and racism are still with us. Mm-hmm. It's a blame factor. It's it's it 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 provides perhaps for the public at large a uh, a comfort factor, knowing that hey, we can blame someone or or a population or a religion, and uh, good, bad, or indifferent. At least we have a reason for it. Um, that's not comforting, and um, to change that. And the attitudes around it is hard. So let me let me reflect on one thing. Um, I attended a service at at Temple Israel um, about a month ago, and Marsha Zimmerman, the uh, the head rabbi at at Temple Israel, was did a sermon on on anti semitism and how how it is that we as Jews should react to it. Um, and she said, you know, we can, there's basically two sides. We can react with anger and retaliation, or we can provide these, these, we can use these opportunities to further educate, to further um, talk, to further um, get people to, to know the truth. And as an opportunity for all of us to, as human beings, to, to work together, and um, I really appreciated that comment, and and I think that that's that falls in line, Steve, with your comment on uh, being optimistic. You know, I think one of the things, Rabbi, Rabbi Zimmerman, one of the great leaders of our uh, community, and she hits the nail on the head. There, mm-hmm. let me give you a story. You know, I always like to tell stories. We were up in Williston, North Dakota. Again, we're Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, as I like to say, two hundred twenty-five thousand square miles of paradise. When you're up in, <laughs> when you're when you're up in Williston, North Dakota, I mean, you're far closer to Manitoba or Sydney, Montana, than you are to Fargo. Okay, Correct. so you're really at the northwest of the edge of the Bakken oil field. Fascinating culture, by the way. In the high school there, fifty languages are spoken. You have people coming throughout the world to work in the Bakken. Okay. Uh, point being, there's a teacher, Carrie Hall, wonderful teacher, who over the years has made a commitment to teaching about the Holocaust and anti-Semitism at Williston High School. And she's become a great friend of the JCRC. Speaker Nick Winton, Sir Nicholas Winton was his father. Sir Nicholas Winton was responsible for saving 700 Jewish Czech children uh, before the Holocaust to the kinder transport. The kinder transport was the effort to bring Austrian, German, and then because of Sir Nicholas, Czech Jewish children to Great Britain and some to Sweden to, to save them. Well, what became the need to save them after the Kristallnacht. Uh, Nick was our annual speaker at our 2021 uh, an, annual event, but only virtually because he's a Brit and could not come over due to the due to COVID. We had a partnership, speaking of partnerships with the American Swedish Institute and Bethel Synagogue, speaking of Bethel, with this kinder transport, the ASI. And that was the reason our uh, ex- that was the reason that our annual event was there in August 2021. But the son, Nicholas, went and talks about the dad. Why was his dad so motivated to help these children whom we didn't know? He had very little connection with the uh, Czechoslovakia because he thought it was the good and right thing to do, which was kind of the simple yeah. answer to that. And Nicholas, or Nick, the son, travels the world over just telling the story of his dad. He's a wonderful presenter, too, and sort of uh, uh, eloquent in a way that only a Britisher uh, can be. Mm -hmm. 
great speaker. So we brought him with us because we, because he had only appeared virtually in 2021. We had made a commitment to bring Nick to the Twin Cities and to, and to Bethel. Coming all that way, let's go someplace else. So we decided to go to Williston, North Dakota, because of teacher Carrie Hall. And two things. One, to watch the students in the big high school, big high school, huge auditorium, beautiful auditorium, five, 600 high schoolers. And they were just riveted with attention as Nick's telling the story of his father and what his father did mm-hmm. to save these 700 Jewish Czech children. But then a teacher, one person, you know, she's just made it a commitment that she's going to teach year after year about the Holocaust and anti-Semitism mm-hmm. in Williston, North Dakota. And we want to support her efforts. But to then sit with her kids and listen to the conversation that her students, I should say kids, students were having with Nick Winton and to appreciate their uptake and their view of life. And this goes back to my optimism. One, people given an opportunity will so often do the right thing. Uh, secondly, the, the world is a person by person by person by person endeavor. Okay. And you know, that's always been a philosophy of the JCRC. Whatever our programming, our advocacy, our work is, it's person by person, organization by organization, town by town. And it goes back, you might say, to Prokea vote in that quote that I cited before, which is uh, we can't perfect the world. We can't make it perfect, but we can't desist from the effort. And so when you look out into sort of the blackness and the blankness of some terrible things that we see, I say to myself, okay, you know, what have I done today? to try to address some of these some of these issues. And you, know, you take a trip to Williston and bring Nick, bring Nick Witten with you. It reaffirms your belief in a lot of all that's right. That's all that's right with people in the world. You know, I- Clarence, I, I, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really appreciate this conversation because I've never had the opportunity, you know, Stan and I will talk a little bit, but we've never had the opportunity to, to, to delve deep into this kind of conversation. So I thought it was a perfect opportunity to have you and I really appreciate what you're saying. I I um I know that there, that as San said a little bit earlier, there's so many ways in which we could have this continue to have this conversation. But I want to ask you this question. Sure. What is what is the path forward? You know, we're talking about today. What is the path forward for us being able to to discuss this and to be able to hopefully create a better understanding about these issues and how we should address them. Truth, honesty, and candor is a good place to start. Uh Just people talking to each other in honest mode um, without rancor, without bitterness. Yeah. But you said a little bit earlier, you said there there are two ways of looking at something and both of them could be correct, right? Yeah, no, 100 for 100, 100%. I mean, that's that's the synthesis of life is to is to is to discern what emerges when opposite truths can collide by the way that's not to say that there isn't falsehood there's plenty of falsehood in the world Correct. right but sometimes truths do collide with each other uh too uh you know you i, I want to get clarence you asked the question before i don't know if you, i don't know if you've become shy all of a sudden i doubt that's the case but no. <laughs> <laughs> uh because it's a great question and it's one where we have to address the issue head on. You asked about Israel and anti-Semitism, and I thought you were yeah. going to ask about it again. So I'm going to ask it for you, if that's okay. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Okay, you know, remember what I said about Rabbi uh, Rabbi Sachs in his sort of his third in the trilogy of uh, the, sort of the unfolding of anti-Semitism over time. First, Jews are hated for their religion, then they're hated for their race, and then they're hated for their state. Okay, uh, Zionism is the movement for national self-determination of the Jewish people, right? Those who oppose Zionism. Now, I'm not talking about opposing a particular government or policy of the state of Israel. All you have to do is read the Israeli press every day to see that is happening in a vibrant way every day in the state of Israel. But Mm -hmm. the idea that somehow Jews, apart from every other nation in the world, should not have their right to national self determination is a form of anti-Semitism. Why would the Jews be somehow in a way segregated from every other nation and not to enjoy that right? You know, that's that's why Rabbi Sachs calls Jews being hated for their state sort of the third in the trilogy of the unfolding of anti-Semitism over time. Sometimes this is a hard truth for people to grasp, right? And something that we must uh, talk about, you know, forthrightly. Okay. And, you know, we this is something that's critical to us. It's amazing how sensitive it becomes. You know, we've 
given, you know, particularly in the last year, and I have marvelous, my JCRC colleagues are just unbelievable. We have such a great team, wonderful support in the community and a terrific board and a terrific board chair. And John Peretz, my colleagues, we've been together for an aggregate of 100 years. That is the amount of time that we've been working together. And mm-hmm. I've been there 16 years. And many of us have been there 15, 16, 17 years. It's a great team. But the need for sort of specific programs on anti-Semitism has just grown and grown and grown. We had one Hennepin County court system. We had one for mm-hmm. the Court of Appeals. We've had Fortune 500 companies come to us. Mm-hmm. And this is something that we're giving more often than not. We have an outstanding speakers bureau that gives five, 600 presentations a year. And this is another way you know, sort of speaking, reaching people person by person by person. This way, it's old school, but you know, we talk to thousands of people a year, sure. schools, sure. you name it, historical societies, uh, uh, churches, houses of worship, etc. But going back to this Israel piece, we have to deal with this issue that anti-Zionism, and this is sometimes controversial in the Jewish community, not so often, but I say it with great determination. You know, anti-Zionism is, anti-Zionism is akin to anti-Semitism or is anti-Semitism. The idea that somehow the Jewish people aren't entitled to their own self-determination is an abomination and anti-Semitic. You know what? I thank you for entering that that conversation, opening up that door, because I've met Jewish people who are anti-Zionist. I know you are. And I'm like, I... like, yeah, okay. I mean, I I don't know enough, you know, to 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 you know respond to that. I'm just like, I'm just puzzled. So that 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 was why I was asking that question is because there, there are those that that you know are Jewish and they're like, no. So anyway, I just I, I'm throwing it out there. I have no. <laughs> Nothing to do other than to throw it out. Yeah. Well, this is, there's always been a minority opinion. It's now a significantly minority that is not many people hold it anymore about uh, Jewish anti Zionism. Now, you know, back in the day, there was a belief that, in a way, the United States was Zion because of the rights that we enjoyed and the practicalities of a system of government in which all enjoyed uh, the rights of freedom, et cetera. And why did you need a homeland of your own? You have the United States, right? And all the freedoms that it presents. Uh, you know, so there was always sort of this vein that circulated through. And, you know, it took in some ways two you know, epical events that galvanized the American Jewish community thoroughly behind the ideas of complete support for Israel and Zionism, one was what happened in World War II. Mm-hmm. And then the 67 War II was also a defining moment for the American Jewish community and the Jewish community worldwide. Uh, <clears throat> so it's always an interesting and important discussion to have the place of anti-Zionism within the world of anti-Semitism too. Right. And, and we could talk about it for hours. I just put right. that on the table. Okay. We have to recognize that um, differences of opinion Mm-hmm. differences of, of thought. So Steve, um, one thing that they had mentioned at the front end of this are the, the health aspects of all of this. And your work with JCRC, and, um, you, you just kind of keep chipping away at it. And what I've learned so far is that, you know, the issue isn't going to go away. It's like, you know, when I was involved with cardiovascular disease at the health department, heart disease is not going away. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day of the work that I did, I felt good because even if I just made a little bit of a difference, a little bit at the end of the day, then we're moving in the right direction. If we're helping people to control blood pressure a little bit at the end of the day, great. Now, let me reflect on that a little bit. These issues that we're talking about here, uh, anti-Semitism and and racism, um, are stressful. Okay. And when we bring, when, when we read about them daily. I just got an article, you know, this morning, you know, that came out in the in the New York Times yesterday. You know, you you see it in front of your face daily. And so that can raise your blood pressure. 
okay uh for for a lot of people it can create stress for certain populations um tell me how is it that we can become healthier by addressing the anger and the stress that these situations like anti-Semitism present to us. It's so interesting, the cardiovascular analogy that you draw based upon your important work at the Department of Health over the years. My wonderful uh, physician, Paul Gottlieb, my internist, right always too. tells me to lose right 20 too. pounds. He always tells me to lose 20 pounds. You know Same. what? I should lose 20 pounds. But I'm on the treadmill 45 minutes a day. So, yeah. right? I, what I, the I, hell? I know. Uh, I, so I'm, I am doing something good that's for my health and cardiovascular-wise, too. But it, you know, kind of, but it's not the perfection. You know, Paul had his way. I, no more chocolate chip cookies, right? Uh, yeah. Which isn't good for your so mental we, we, health, we, by as the you way. say, we can chip away at it. At least you know, try to make ourselves healthy. I'm just kind of having a good time with you for a second here. Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, There's a more serious point, and that is uh, a third of the importance of building facts on the ground, right? Uh, you know, going back to this, you know, half American book, I think it was an important consideration of the African American community and its debates over World War II that it was. A important opportunity to demonstrate the patriotism of African Americans in full-fledged participation in the war effort, right? Despite, despite the incredible segregation, discrimination that African Americans faced in the Second World War, I think the African Americans, of course, were inherently, despite all their phrase, patriotic, mm -hmm. as were the Native American communities and other dispossessed communities in their fight. But they also saw it as important because we're going to come after the war. And we're going to tell people our moment has come. If we're going to recognize the, the full uh, the full, of, the full possibility and potential of America, we have to break down a de jure discrimination, not just de facto discrimination. Well, this is probably both de jure and de facto uh, discrimination. And that's an important point because that was creating facts on the ground. And I wrote once a few couple of years ago, I can't quite remember the citation, that the GIs who came home from World War II, not all of them, but many of them, came back with a completely different appreciation for the world, right? Uh, you know, Even though there was segregation, many had fought with African-Americans or Japanese-Americans in the Second World War. And they had also seen the horrors of Nazism or what happened in the Far East. And they came back with a completely different appreciation of the world. Did it happen overnight? No. no. 1945 to the passage of the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, 20 years. Two more decades were to pass right, right be, uh, before the Civil War, in a sense, finally ended. Uh, <clears throat> but I think there was that personal connection that made a huge difference yeah. for people and for people's attitudes in life. And so what do you draw from, from that learning is that this is what we have to do every day, right? I think, one, to your mental health point, it'll keep you from going mishuga. That means crazy, right? right? right. Uh, yeah. and, and then, but two the practical import of of what it is that we're trying to accomplish. Now, one can say, and I sometimes in moments of minor, sometimes moments of despair, the vast world of social media, Kanye West, millions of followers, right? Right. Uh, had far more followers than there are Jews in the world, right? right. You're nuts to say, you we are working on this one person at a time. You're being drowned in the numbers of social media. Yeah. Right. And there's a certain truth to it. Remember, we talked about conflicting pieces can still both be true. Yeah. Right? But I also believe you know, if we kind of pull a lens back or pull it closer, I can't show you which one we're doing here, that the person by person approach makes a huge difference because while there is social media, the intense value of the personal connection is huge. You know, yeah. my predecessor, Jay DeCath, who the Chicago Federation will often cite the statistic that says, let's just take the issue, issue of Israel. The single most important thing you can do if you're a supporter of Israel is have a conversation with a friend or a neighbor about Israel to, have, to be maximally impactful. Okay. So I completely believe that is the case. You know, going back again to the, what our speakers bureau does, you know, just getting out into the community, whether virtually or in person, talk mm -hmm. about what's important to Jews, what's important to Jews in the greater community makes a huge makes a huge difference yeah so that is 
much of the my philosophy and point and departure in life. But when I gather with Stan and Clarence and the entire team, I really appreciate what you're trying to do. And you know, thank you for this opportunity to speak because our collective communal mental health is entwined with anti-Semitism and racism and the fighting of anti-Semitism and racism. But let's even be more positive. And let's go back to Clarence with the Jews and blacks can do together. If I can just sure. wrap it up in a nutshell here is we got, we got to present a better model and a better role and a better future to people. Right. And the work that we do, we don't have to agree on everything. We're not going to agree on everything, but that's just natural amongst people. Yeah. It's positivity. Not not to deny the existence of difficulty, but to say what it is we're going to do together to better our community. It's just like those brave African-Americans in World War II. They said the hell with it. As bad as it is here, we're going to demonstrate to the rest of the world, United States and the world that our bravery and heroism can help destroy Nazism and fascism abroad. And that's how we're going to make for a better world despite what we're facing. But when we come back, we're going to try, we're going to, try to change this world in conjunction with the allies that we've made in the struggle of World War II. Yeah. Right, I, I love to tell this story. It's after Pearl Harbor, the Iroquois Native American community and the elders of the community are called before the draft board in upstate New York where the Iroquois community lives. And the subject of the discussion is the drafting of Iroquois young men into the armed services during the war. And the leader of the Iroquois community says, you will not draft our young men. Excuse me, you will not draft our young men. And the immediate response internally of the draft board is that somehow they're going to be resistant to drafting of Iroquois young men into the into World War II and the armed forces for World War II. He says, you're not going to draft their young men because every one of them is going to enlist. Right, right. Right, and it's sort of maybe their theme is that we're all going to enlist in the effort of bettering our country. Yeah. Even though we recognize the manifest injustices that occur all the time, we also realize the potential and greatness of this country, but we're not going to do it unless we work hard together. Yeah. You know, there's a, a great one liner. I don't know the, the quote who I can attribute this to, but um, my father always used to link this quote in his thinking. And it was this things of quality have no fear of time. Mm-hmm. And certainly that is inherent in in the discussions that we have around um, anti-Semitism and and racism. And frankly, the more we talk about them, and the more honest we are with our conversations, and and like you said, Steve, we can disagree, but that's human nature. But at least we're talking and we're conversing, mm-hmm. and you know, mm-hmm. certainly that's been um, the subject line for um, for health chatter. Um, Clarence, yeah, what, well, what do you think here? Yeah, well, I think, let, let me say this, because I know that we're getting towards the end of our show, but uh, let me thank you for allowing me to enter the conversation. I mean, these are things that, uh, as I said a little bit earlier, these are things that, you know, after so many years of living, you know, they keep they keep wandering around in your head and questions you keep asking. And so I've had the opportunity to ask some questions today that, you uh, uh, you were able to give some kind of clarity to. So thank you uh, for the chatter uh, that we that we're having, and we know that uh, this is not a a uh, the end of the conversation, but it's just the beginning. And uh, this was a great entry point. So thank you again, Steve. Well, thank you, Clarence. I, I hope the conversation will continue. Maybe the three of us informally can have our own conversations over lunch, dinner, wherever it is Absolutely. that we would like to go. And deep in the, as Stan says, we don't see each other very often, but we can always seem to pick up wherever the conversation left. But, you know, let's make it amongst the three of us a goal to spend time together and get to know each other more. And, and Steve, one thing that you should know is that, um, you know, with the work with JCRC, health chatter is a vehicle that you can use. Okay. So if there ever is an opportunity that you want mm. to get, get um, certain subjects or or certain messages out, we'll be happy to, to help with that. To that end, we have um, our own health chatter website. So if there are any resources or sources in general that um, that you think would would 
be useful, send them to me in an email and I can certainly get them on our website for our listening audience. With Excellent. that, I want to, I want to truly thank you for your, for your insights. I want to thank you on, on, uh, on behalf of the public for the work that you continually do. I want to thank you for um, your perspective of optimism, because I believe that from it, we will make more inroads into addressing the issue of anti-Semitism. So thank you for being part of, of Health Chatter. Well, we're, I thank you for your commitment, Clarence and Stan and Aaron, Maddie, Matthew, to providing a platform for the intelligent, honest discussion of important facts of life, particularly those that bear on our community's health. You know, we take great pride in Minnesota in our, in our commitment to good health, right? Absolutely. Uh, and this is, you know, part, part and parcel of that effort. I'll also note we're headed into the Kwanzaa season, Hanukkah season, the Christmas season, right? And we should all light those candles, right? It's a season of light in one way or another for so many of us. And I, Absolutely. I, I hope that we'll all together continue to work in that direction of providing light to the world. Thank you. Thank you so much. And with that and our audience, uh, stay tuned. We have great shows coming up, one on, on homelessness and one on, on caregiving and certainly our show on, on racism. We have a show coming up on, on healthy people, the objectives for the nation. So all these are, are great shows. Steve, thanks once again. And to everybody in our listening audience, keep health chatting away. Hi everyone, it's Matthew from Behind the Scenes, and I wanted to let everyone know that we have a new website up and running, healthchatterpodcast.com. You can go on there, you can interact with us, you can communicate with us, send us a message, you can comment on each episode, you can rate us, uh, and it's just another way for everyone to communicate with uh, Stan and Clarence and all of us at the Health Chatter team. So definitely check it out. Again, that's healthchatterpodcast.com. Thank you.